All right, all right. Well, hey, welcome to Sojourn. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is good to just be with you guys tonight uh, to celebrate Christmas Eve, to celebrate Christmas together. Uh, as Evan said, I know there's a lot of new faces and friends and family that are here, so if this is your first time being with us, uh, we're just thankful that God brought you to gather tonight, whether it's because you came with a, a friend or a family member or just found out about our Christmas Eve service. Uh, it's just good to be able to gather together tonight. We are going to be preaching um, out of the book of Revelation tonight, and so if you need a copy of the Bible, we'd love for you to have that. So we have a couple of people that are going to bring one around. Just raise your hand, and uh, they'll pass a Bible to you if you'd like to read along with us tonight and don't have a copy of the Scriptures. And and just know that that's our gift to you. If you don't actually own a copy of the Bible, we'd love to give that to you tonight, Uh, and you can take that home with you. We want you to to have God's Word. We believe that it is uh, God's truth to us as we understand more of who God is and who we are in relation to God. Uh, We learn that through the Scriptures. So if you don't own a copy of the Bible, please take that with you tonight. You know, as we've been celebrating uh, Christmas over this last month, kind of this Advent season, uh, as a church and just as culture and as people, we continue to celebrate Christmas. I was thinking uh, about some of just the kind of the common sentiments, the common sayings that we hear or say uh, during this time of year. Things like, it's the most wonderful time of the year, or have a holly jolly Christmas. May all your days be merry and bright, and now what has now become iconic in our culture, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Thank you, Buddy the Elf. You know, another common thing that we sometimes say or hear around this time of year is peace on earth. I mean, that's a hopeful saying, right? Peace on earth. It's on our Christmas cards. We maybe say it to each other, write it in our emails to greet one another. Peace on earth. And it's a sentiment that I think really all people can agree is, uh, is a good thing, right? Yeah, peace on earth. We all desire there to be peace on earth, especially in the world we live in. As I was thinking about that, it made me think of uh, a question that, that a few pastors have asked over the years uh, that I just think is something that's worth us considering tonight as we think about this idea of peace on earth, as we think about Christmas. And the question is, what kind of world do you want? What kind of world do you, would you like to create or have? If you could kind of have any way, anything, any way you wanted it, what kind of world do you want? What would that look like? What comes to mind for you? And we could go around the room. I think some people would disagree about certain things. Maybe it'd be more about your leisure activities or the kind of foods you would eat or any of those kinds of things. And somebody says, no, I don't want that. Or yes, I do want that. But, but at the end of the day, I think there are some things that all of us could agree on would be in and a part of the world we all want. Peace. Peace on earth, prosperity, plenty of provision, no more war, no more poverty, no more trafficking or slavery, no more abuse, no more sickness or disease, long life, good relationships, riches, maybe even no death. This is the world that we all want, but it's not hard for us to realize this is not the world that we find ourselves in right now. We flip on the news, we read the newspaper, we just live in this world, we see all around us things like bombings and terrorism and injustice and racism and just even in our own lives, just broken relationships. So sometimes I think if we're honest, when we hear the phrase peace on earth around Christmas time, it is a a sentimental thing to say, but if we're honest, we don't really believe it to be a possibility. It is just a nice thing to say, not something that could actually exist doesn't hold a whole lot of weight in our lives. But there's something I want us to understand tonight. As we celebrate Christmas together, as we gather here tonight, there's something I want us to understand, and it's this. The Bible tells us that the world we all want is 
possible. And not only can it exist, but it will exist. And in that truth is our greatest hope. So as we get ready to open up the scriptures and just spend some time in that for a little while, let me just pray for our time in God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful that we can gather together tonight here in this place on a Thursday night just to celebrate the fact that Christ has come, to celebrate Christmas together. And Lord, I give you thanks that you've brought every single person that's in this room right now to be here. That is in your providence and your sovereignty. You purposed for them to be here tonight. And so, Lord, we give you thanks for that. And we pray that as we open up your word now that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would allow us to be hopeful tonight. Give us hope. That's our prayer as we spend time in your word. And so, Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in and through this time and that you'd be glorified and honored by it. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, go ahead and grab your Bible. If you haven't already, flip to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 is where we're going to be in our time together tonight. You may already be thinking, why are we looking at Revelation at Christmas time? But hopefully that'll make sense in a few minutes. Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read a few verses here at the beginning of this chapter. The Apostle John is the writer, and so this is what John says to us tonight through God's Word, starting in verse 1. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. The book of Revelation is a book that's meant to provide hope for God's people. When, when John wrote this book, at that current time, God's people, the church, were being persecuted heavily. And, and so John, leading, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, wrote this book to talk about the hope we have, this future hope that we have to encourage people. But, but it wasn't a book just for people, the people of God back then. It's a book for us now. These verses are for us now because we still live in a world Filled with darkness, filled with dysfunction, we still need a word of hope. And John lays all kinds of things out throughout this book, all kinds of things that are really important for us to understand. But what he says here is really important for us to understand tonight. It's key because this is the end. This is the glorious conclusion, the kind of, the kind of pinnacle declaration of hope for God's people. What John sees and what John shares with us here is a picture of the reality of the world we all want. So let's take a look at exactly what the Apostle John is talking about and hopefully answer the question, too, of what in the world does this really have to do with Christmas? Right away, John gives us a picture of good news. He sees this new heaven and this new earth coming down because the first earth has passed away. This is a picture of renewal that John's seeing take place. It's not a, it's not a new creation in the same way that God created the earth the first time out of nothing. God spoke and the whole world was created out of nothing. We learn in the book of Genesis. What John sees here is not a, a creation in that sense. It's a, it's a renewal. It's a restoration of the world. God once declared good. What we see here is God's renewing it. It's re- he's restoring it to be good again. The old world has passed away. 
which means all that is broken within it is gone. It's, it's the removal of the infection of evil that's present in our world. It's the transformation of that which is wicked into that which is glorious in good. And John says he sees a new city, a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, from God. And, and it's, this city is a picture of both a place and a people. It's a place because as we see in verse 3, God is going to dwell among his people. He's going to be with his people in the center of his people. But this picture of this new Jerusalem coming down is not just a place, it's also a picture of a people. God's people gathered together with God at the center. It's a picture of God's redeemed and restored people. And John says that they are adorned as a bride for her husband. Now, I love, one of the things I love most about being a pastor is being able to officiate weddings. There's, there's some people here tonight, there's weddings that I've officiated, and I, I love to do this. And often, one of the things that I say during the wedding ceremony and, and want to communicate to the bride and to the groom and all those that are gathered there is that the, 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 the groom has a, a, um, a better vantage point than really anybody else in all the room. Because as he waits and he stands at the front of that aisle and he watches his bride walk down that aisle wearing that pure white spotless dress. He has an experience from a perspective that God has as he sees his people, the church coming to him, pure, spotless, blameless, clothed in white, prepared and adorned in radiant beauty for all eternity. It's an amazing picture. And in verse 3, John tells us more. This announcement is made from the very throne of God. The king in the center of his kingdom makes a declaration, a proclamation Let me read it again because it's just so good for us. Verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Man, what an amazing picture. God is not a distant God. He's not separated. He's not removed. He will dwell with his people. He'll be at the center of the city in the center of this new creation. It's where he desires to dwell. It's where he will dwell in this new creation, this new heavens and new earth. It's a picture of God's family being drawn together with God's presence reigning over them. In this new creation, God's people and God's world will be perfected and completed for all eternity with all glory because God will be with us in all his fullness and we'll be with him forever. And that's amazing news for us tonight. But it isn't just that God will dwell with his people. There's something that God will also do among his people. Look at verse 4 again. In verse 4, John writes, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. No more crying. No more death. No more mourning. No more pain. He'll wipe the very tears from your eyes away. And what love, what, what care, what grace that God gives to us in this new place. And I love the last sentence that John says. He says, the former things have passed away. They have passed away. This is definite, so much so that John sees it and shares it in a past tense way. This has already happened. All the brokenness of this world, John says, all the sin that leads to heartache and loss will be gone forever. Our future hope is based on this definite reality. God God says through John, this is going to happen. It's not just for this future time. I want to encourage you with it now. It's so true and so sure. This is the world that we all want, but it's not the world that we live in. 
So that should cause us to stop and ask the question, how did we get here? How did we get to this place? If God created a good world, how do we end up where we are now in so much darkness and brokenness? See, in the beginning, God dwelt with his people. He walked among them and, and was with them in intimate fellowship and relationship. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, deceived by Satan and deceived by their own selfish desires, said no to God. They said no to him and no to his good ways, and they decided that it would be better for them to go their own way and do what they wanted to do. They desired to be master. They desired to be Lord and King, and they asserted themselves as individual autonomous sovereigns over their lives where they could build their own kingdoms apart from God and his kingdom. And from that moment, a curse, an infection took root in the hearts of men and women of all humanity and the very heart of our physical and spiritual world. See, God who once dwelled among his people had to remove his people from his presence because God is holy and God is perfect and God is altogether righteous. And God can't dwell among people who are not holy and not altogether righteous. And when sin came in, when we rebelled against God, God had to remove us from his presence. He can't have fellowship with us in that way. So a curse took root. Sin entered the world and through sin, death. And God says humanity would die physically and at that moment humanity died spiritually. Because from that moment on, Adam and Eve and all of humanity had no desire to know God, no desire to be with God, no desire to follow God. They had no real life in them anymore, no spiritual life. Adam and Eve and every human after them, including you and me, we've all become spiritual zombies. We're literally the walking dead. We walk around physically, but there's no spiritual life within us. We've all inherited this sin sickness that has affected us completely and totally from head to toe, inside and out, from the moment we're conceived. See, Adam in this moment wore the representative hat of all humanity, and when he plunged headlong into rebellion, into sin, we jumped in with him. We see through this throughout the pages of Scripture. We, we see this throughout the pages of history, just in our own lives. We continue to assert ourselves as individual autonomous sovereigns. And so what happens then is selfishness rules the day. We have to get ours. We have to be about us. We want to take care of ourselves first. Death and difficulty and heartache reign. Work is hard for us. Relationships are hard for us. And so we experience crying and pain and affliction and disease and dysfunction. See, at its very core, at its very core, what we call sin, this rebellion against God, is anti-relational. It's anti-relational. When Adam rebelled against God, it severed all of humanity's relationship with God. And now, wherever sin attaches itself to something, it creates relational difficulty. It creates relational difficulty between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between friends, co-workers, neighbors, ethnicities, nations. I mean, do you see this in our world right now? Do you see this in your own life? And the world in general recognizes this brokenness. It's not hard. We could go ask anybody on the street, anybody in this room, do you see dysfunction? Do you see difficulty? Do you see darkness in our world? And I think most people say, yeah, yeah, I see that. And what our world often tries to do, what we do on our own, is we try to come up with our own solutions to fix that problem, to overcome it. Say, hey, just change your circumstances and things will be better. Change your job or your house. Change your spouse and things will be better. 
A little Botox and a bigger bank account. That's all you need. Take this pill here or this pill there and everything will be better. And there's also some good things that we could do too though, right? I mean, we can fight against injustice. We can fight to alleviate pain and and fight against disease in our world. And we should do those things. Even as God's people, we should seek to bring relief from that. We should do those things. But the thing we have to recognize in that is that none of that will be final. None of that will alleviate that problem completely. None of those things will give us the world we all want. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to go down to Haiti with a good friend of mine that I've known for a really long time. And we, we went to a, a place in Haiti. It was up on the mountain, which is a lot of Haiti, but uh, it was really far away from everything. And we went to this orphanage. It was an orphanage slash church. And so there were a bunch of orphan girls there, uh, along with the pastor and his wife who were taking care of them and their own children living in this kind of building, kind of compound. And, and because it was so far removed from everything else in this kind of third world context, in order for them to get water, they, they caught rain uh, that when it rained and it collected into cisterns. And they had two cisterns that would collect this water in order for them to be able to drink and, and cook and bathe in. But when we got there, one of the things that we recognized, we realized the problem that they had is they had these two big cisterns, but one of them was broken. It had a crack in it. And so water would come into the cistern, but then it would quick, quickly leak out of it. See, what we try to do, what our world tries to offer the, us in the end are just broken cisterns. We seek life in something or someone that doesn't have the power to give us that life. In fact, if we put that expectation on a person, if we put that expectation on something, it's just going to crush them because they can't bear the weight of that. They were never meant to give you that kind of life to fix the problem that we find in our world, the problems that we find in our own heart. And God himself says something about this in the scriptures. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 God says this about his people. He says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They've turned away from God. They've they've run a different direction, and they've done this instead. He says, And they've hewed out cisterns for themselves. They've, They've dug out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They've run away from the only life giving source to other things that will never satisfy. So the question we have to ask is we understand this is how we got to the world that we're in. Is how do we get to the world that we all want? Is it even possible? Well, look at verse 5 again. Verse 5 says that he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Behold, I'm making all things new. See, the truth we have to understand, the source of all of our hope is that the world we all want is not possible apart from the one who alone can and will make all things new. He will do it. Jesus will do it. No one else in no other way. But that might lead to that other question for us tonight. Is this, what? okay, that's great, but what in the world does this have to do with Christmas? The reason this has to do with Christmas is because Jesus does not make all things new. He doesn't bring about the world we all want through military might or political power or innovative initiatives. See, the world we all want, the overcoming of the curse of sin, comes by way of a manger, by way of a cross, and by way of an empty tomb. See, even as we rebelled against God, he purposed and planned that redemption would come, and it would come through a new son of Adam, a redeemer. And throughout the Bible, we see God showing his people and showing us is that this redeemer couldn't just be anyone 
Because all of us have sin in our lives. All of us have inherited that from our first parents, and so we can't overcome our own problems. So that means that God himself would have to rescue and redeem humanity. But how? He would come to us. He would come to us as one of us taking on humanity to rescue us. The Holy Spirit would enable an unassuming woman from an unassuming town to become pregnant with the Son of the Most High God, the second person of the Trinity. And she and her husband Joseph were to call his name Jesus. And as we talked about this past Sunday, the name Jesus means that he would save his people from their sins. See, the world we all want is not possible apart from the removal of sin and its curse. And in order for that to take place, in order for sin to be overcome, in order for the curse to be overcome, there needed to be a payment. Sin must be dealt with because God can't dwell in relationship with a sinful people. And so what Jesus did is he took on humanity and he lived a perfect life. And, and even while he walked this earth among us, he even showed us a glimpse of the world we all want. He, he healed people of their sickness. He, he fed the hungry. He spent time with the outcast. He even raised people from the dead. And things seem to be going so well. This is the world we all want. We see this restoration taking place, but then they took, the, took a seeming turn for the worst because Jesus was arrested and he was tried and he was sentenced to death and executed on a cross. How's this the world we all want? But God had a purpose and a promise in this. It was all part of his plan to get his people back and to restore a broken world. Because see, Jesus' death was not because of his sin. He didn't have any. His death was because of our sin. He became a substitute for you and for me. He took on the punishment that you and I deserve for our rebellion against God by dying in our place. Scripture makes it clear to us the wages of sin, the consequences of our rebellion is death. But thanks be to God who's made a way that what God demanded from us, he gave to us in sending Christ to pay that penalty for us. See, in order to have the world we all want, sin must be taken care of, and it was on the cross. But there's more. In order to have the world we all want, Jesus must also bring new life, and he did. He rose again from the dead, and in that moment, God declared, I am making all things new. See, at Christmas, what we celebrate is the arrival of Jesus Christ, the advent of Jesus Christ. It's a truth that the very Son of God came to us, born in the likeness of men to set us free and to set our world free from sin and all its effects. And tonight, as we celebrate that reality, tomorrow, as we celebrate that reality, I want us to have hope to have hope in the fact that the world we all want is possible because Jesus our King came and Jesus our King will come again to rule and to reign. But see, now we find ourselves in this place of tension. In this place of tension because we know there's the possibility of the world we all want that Jesus will bring about that restoration, but it's not yet here. We find ourselves in a place of what is already true and what has not yet happened. What's already true is that sin and death have been overcome because of the manger, because of the cross, and because of the resurrection. But what's not yet happened is that Christ has not yet come again in the fullness of his kingdom to destroy once for all our last enemies. And so for now, we wait. We wait, we long, we hope, we expect. And as we wait, we groan along with creation for this full and final restoration. As we, ho as we wait, we hope 
believing the promise that he will come again and he will make all things new. See, Jesus tells us in verse 5 to write these things down. Write these things down because they're trustworthy and true. We know that they're trustworthy and true because he is. He's already come once to dwell among us as one of us. And so if he says he's going to come again, then we can believe that to be true. He is and always will be Emmanuel, God with us. See, the reality of verse 3 is our greatest hope and our greatest longing. Unhindered relationship with the living God and unfathomable glory and ultimate peace. In John 14, Jesus makes a promise to us. He says he goes to prepare a place for us and he will come back for us. He won't leave us as orphans. He's gone to be with the Father forever. A place, preparing a place that we will enjoy in the full presence of God. A place where we will be fully known, fully known yet fully loved by God. Where we'll see him, not dimly, not from a distance, but face to face forever and ever. A place without shame. A place without sin. Listen, are you struggling right now with the brokenness of this world? Are you struggling with the brokenness in your own life? Do you feel shame right now? Do you feel sadness in your life? Listen to me tonight. There's a God who is there, and he desires to comfort you now, and one day he will take away all of that brokenness. He'll take away all the brokenness of this world and all the brokenness of your life, and he'll be your comfort, and he'll be your peace for all eternity. God and his power and his presence are greater than any pain in your life right now because he will make all things new. This is what we hope for. This is our joy, the return of perfect peace where there's harmony and unity and goodness and gladness and joy forever and ever. So what we read in John from John in Revelation 21 tonight, as we celebrate Christmas, what John sees and shares with us is a hopeful vision for the future amidst the suffering and the struggles of the present. That's what Christmas should be about. As we look around us, recognizing peace on earth is possible, joy in this world is possible, and it will come about when Jesus returns. But here's an even greater reality that gives us hope, that what John says in Revelation 21 is actually true. And it's this, that Jesus is already at work making all things new. He has and is doing it right now in the hearts and lives of men and women of all ages from all places and all over the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes there, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Sounds really similar to what John says in chapter 21 of Revelation. The new has come, the old has passed away, which means that if you're in Christ, if you're united to him by faith, believing that he lived for you and died for you, that the old life that you once had that kept you from God has been removed and the new has come and God's bringing about the new within you. He's renewing and restoring you even right now. And so as you struggle in this life, as you look at the world around you and all its brokenness and all its darkness, all you need to do is look within yourself and see God doing that renewing work in your heart. It should give you hope. That what John says in Revelation 21 is true. That he is making and will make all things new. But for others of you here tonight, let me ask you this. Do you need to be made new? Do you need to be made new? Has Jesus truly and fully invaded your life? Have you stepped off the throne of your kingdom and allowed Jesus, the one true king, to take that seat? See, in verse 6, Jesus makes a promise and he gives an invitation to all of us. Look at verse 6. 
And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. He gives a promise. See, on the cross, Jesus says it is finished, and here he says it is done. He's the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is sovereign over all. All things are in his power and his control. Nothing is outside of him. But he's also gracious, because here he offers us life, eternal life without cost, because he paid it all for us. See, our world being made new starts with our hearts being made new. And all of us need to be made new. All of us have a thirst that God alone can satisfy. And so God is inviting you right here, right now, to be a part of his new family, his new people, and to one day be a part of the world we all want, his new world, when Jesus comes again to rule and reign. So how will you respond? Will you accept this free gift of grace tonight? There's no better time for you to do this. Jesus offers this to you without payment now. That you place your faith in him, believing he is who he says he is, and he came to do what he said he came to do and did. See, the curse of sin seems ever-present, but one day it'll be no more. In Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 through 5, just in the next chapter, John writes this, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Man, what a glorious truth. What hope we have. The curse will be removed. There's no need for light anymore. There'll be no darkness anymore because the light of God will shine out forever and ever. Not even any shadows anymore. Man, what hope we have in that world to come. The world we all want. As we close tonight, we're going to spend time just singing some familiar Christmas hymns and songs. We're going to spend time, we wanted to respond to God's word preached tonight just singing together. And many of these songs will be familiar, of, familiar to us, some of them may be new to us, but one of the songs, the most popular maybe song that we'll sing tonight is Joy to the World. And the third verse of this hymn says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. This hymn was written by Isaac Watts in the 18th century. But Isaac Watts didn't write this hymn about the birth of Christ. He wrote it about the second coming of Christ. He wrote about the second coming. Because see, at Christmas, we celebrate that Christ has come once, but we also celebrate that Christ will come again. And we long for that. We hope for that. That's the hope for Christmas. That he will make his blessings flow far as the curse is found that he will bring about the world we all want, that he will make all things new. So not only tonight, but every day until that day, let's repeat the sounding joy of the wonders of his love. He has made a way for us to be reconciled to God, and he is king, and his kingdom is forever. He has come, and he will come again to finish what he began, to make all things new. And that is our hope, and to that we say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. As our first act of worship tonight, in response to God's word, we're going to come to the table to eat and drink together. We're going to come to the table to celebrate, to eat the bread and drink the cup. And as you do that tonight, may your heart be filled and your soul be floored that God would come to you to restore you, to rescue you. 
And may that encourage you, make you hopeful that he will come again to dwell among us, wiping away every tear from your very eyes and removing every effect of sin in your life in this world. His body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. And this meal declares to you and it preaches to everyone around you tonight to take heart. He has overcome the world. So come tonight and eat and drink at no cost to you because Jesus paid it all. And those of you that are not followers of Christ, we would just ask you tonight to not come forward to take communion. And and the reason for that is because this doesn't do anything magical for you. It's a declaration. It's a, a preaching of the truth that we already believe. And so if you don't yet believe that, if you haven't yet trusted in Christ, we want you to, to take Christ tonight. Again, Jesus is offering you his grace. He went to the cross to die in your place. Would you call on him tonight to save you? You can just hang out in your seat and pray. Ask God to do that work tonight, even as you sit here. That the greatest gift God has given us is what we celebrate at Christmas time. Would you accept that tonight? If you have questions about what it means to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, to actually start that relationship with Jesus, I'm going to be down here after the service tonight. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. We'd love for you to come and be a part of this church. That's why we're here. We want you to know Jesus. And those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front. There's also a table in the back tonight, and there'll be some people there, and you can just tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you tonight. And after that, we're going to rejoice together in singing songs together. But let's pray. Father, we give you thanks tonight to be able to gather together. But we give you thanks tonight to celebrate the fact that the greatest gift you could have given us came in and through Jesus. And we thank you tonight that he came once, but we know and believe and hope that he will come again to make all things new. And so our prayer tonight is come, Lord Jesus. Make your blessings flow as far as the curse is found. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.